This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. It's good to be moved. Good to be back home. We're very good. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. There is no problem so big God cannot solve it There is no mountain too tall He cannot move There is no storm so dark God cannot calm it there is no sorrow to deep, he cannot move it. If he carried the weight of the world upon his shoulders, I know, my brother, that he will carry you. If he Carry the weight of the world upon his shoulders. I know, my sister, that he will carry you. He said, Come unto me, ye who are weary. And I will give you rest. There is no problem too big God cannot solve it. There is no mountain so tall He cannot move it. There is no storm so dark God cannot calm There is no sorrow so deep He cannot soothe If He carried the weight of the world Upon His shoulders Then He did I know, my brother, that he will carry you. If he carried the weight of the world upon his shoulders, I know, my sister, that he will carry you. that he 
I'm glad we can cast our cares upon him. Thank you, Richard. Uh, so glad for words of that, the truth of that song, and uh, so glad that he is back home. Welcome back to this area. It's awesome. I also just want to mention, it was a big day yesterday for people in this church. Uh, we had the uh, Miller Bland wedding, and so I know they're, they're exhausted, but uh, congratulations to, uh, to Hans and Brooke, and they'll be back uh, from their honeymoon hopefully in the next uh, six months or so, and uh, probably take that long for the families to get back to, to normal, and then Wayne and Wanda Worthington married 50 years. Would you just stand? Uh, celebrated that yesterday. Uh, would you stand? Congratulations. You know, they don't look... Uh, they, they must have gotten married at 10 or 12 years of age. Uh, but anyway, congratulations to you, to the entire family. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to focus our thoughts around Verses 31, 32, and we'll be taking in a lot of different scriptures here, but that'll kind of uh, kick us off. Um, you know, as I was just praying and studying this past week, I, I was led to this parable, and and I know maybe some of you that have been in the ministry longer than I have, uh, you know, Silas McGee and Richard Beckham, and they've probably c covered every topic in the Bible. Uh, but I realized I had never preached on, on this parable before, and I preached on a lot of different parables, but this was one, and, and uh, as I got into it, I thought, man, now I know why I haven't preached on it, because it's just really difficult to put together. But Matthew chapter 13 has eight different parables, and you can count them, and Christ actually calls them, these are the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And the particular parable that we want to study is, is the third parable out of the eight. Now, let me just try to set up our study by by saying a couple of things, uh, it's amazing. It's amazing the crazy things that people believe today and identify as their religion. And, and as a matter of fact, I think that you could probably just let your mind wander, come up with something that is totally wacko and write it down and proclaim it as a new religion. And I almost promise you that you would find people that would follow you. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, here are some examples. In the 4th century, there was a religious group called the Abelites. And what was interesting about them is that they believed in marriage, but they did not believe in having intimate relations. And so it's not surprising that this religious group is extinct today. I mean, first of all, because no babies were ever born into the church. And, and secondly, not too many people want to be part of a religion where sexual intimacy is not allowed among married people. Then there was... An, and maybe still is another interesting organization, religious group out of Australia called the Hel Happy, Healthy, Holy Organization. And last I checked, they had eight members. Um, and then there is another religious organization called the Hellfire Club. 
And this is actually a religion. And the members are supposedly wealthy, bored men who want to dabble in magic and have orgies. And then picture part of being, uh, being part of this church. The Mount Hebron Apostolic Temple of our Lord Jesus at, of the Apostolic Faith. I mean, that's the name of the church. Can you imagine somebody saying, well, what, what church do you go to? And, well, I go to the Mount Hebron Apostolic Temple of our Lord Jesus of the Apostolic Faith. You know what? I, I'm glad we're part of the Holiness Church. Makes it a lot easier here. And then my personal favorite religion is this one, the Ice Cream Church. It, it really is a church. And, and I read where they had two dozen online applicants per day. And, and, and I just have to say, I'm just going to open my heart to you. If I ever leave the Church of God Holiness, I will probably transfer my membership to the Ice Cream Church. Because I think it sounds like a fun church. Uh, another church is the Unholy Church of the Octopus. This was set up in 1994 in Australia. Here's the final crazy one I'm going to mention. And this is a true church. The Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. You can Google it. Look it up. It's a movement that opposes the teaching of intelligent design or, or creationism. So you can pretty much dream up the craziest belief system and know that you will have some followers. Which leads me to say this. When it comes to religion, there, there are a couple of things that amaze me. Number one, I'm amazed at how some people will not believe the gospel. I mean... This is a gospel that changes lives. This is a gospel that takes hell-bound sinners and transforms them into heaven-bound saints. This is a gospel that takes people without a ray of hope and gives them a future. This is a gospel that takes messes and turns them into miracles. This is a gospel that helps dry out alcoholics and restore marriages and give peace for today and eternity for tomorrow... This is the gospel that gives us Jesus Christ. And I am totally amazed that so many people do not accept the gospel of Jesus. But then secondly, and I've already talked about this, I'm amazed at the strange stuff that people end up believing. And the result of this religious fickleness is that according to some statistics a few years ago, the number of world religions was numbered at 30,000. 30,000 religions in the world. Not churches, but completely, totally different religions. And then even more disturbing is that in the United States alone, they said that in the category of Christianity, this is Christianity, they say there are over 40,000 different denominations. Again, not churches, but different denominations. And, and to give you the perspective of the explosion of Christian denominations, is they said that in the 1800s there were only 500 denominations, today over 40,000. Let's bring this down a little bit closer to home. Look at our town. What do we have? 16 to 18 different churches within the city limits. And then around 40 or so in the driving radius of Eldorado Springs, about 10 to 12 miles on, either, on every side of us. And then listen to this. In the last few, year, few years in our own town, 
I can think of at least, and there may be more, but I, I was just thinking off the top of my head, at least three different churches that have organized and gotten their own tax ID number, which further adds to the 40,000 denominations in our country. How did all of this happen? How did the church that Jesus prayed would be one in, in John chapter 17 become such a divided church? How did the church that Jesus prayed would be one end up with 30,000 completely different religions around the world? How did the church that Jesus prayed would be one would end up with over 40,000 different Christian denominations that supposedly claim to worship the one and only true God? How did that happen? Well, the parable of the mustard seed, I believe, will help us to understand this. Now, as we study this parable, I'm warning you, you will be absolutely underwhelmed with the outline today. I want to focus on three simple things, but they're very important, but my, they're simple. You want to know the outline today? The seed, the tree, the birds. Can you remember that? The seed, the tree, the birds. I told you you would be underwhelmed. Let's read our passage. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31, 32. Today, I'm going to read from the NIV. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. First of all, let's take a look at the seed. Now, the first piece of information that you need to record in your mind is that a few verses prior in the same chapter in verse 19 we re we read that the seed represents the word of god or the gospel so as we talk about the seed this morning understand that throughout our lesson you know it refers to the word of god or the gospel now the seed that christ used in this parable was the mustard seed and a few of you might be familiar with the mustard seed but for the rest of us that aren't familiar, let me educate us a little bit and, and say that the mustard seed happens to be a tiny, tiny seed that looks like what is behind me on the screen. That's a mustard seed. Now, regardless of the size, you don't, however, want to underestimate the mustard seed. As they say, dynamite comes in small packages. And this tiny mustard seed has quite the bite. If you don't believe it, go to a Chinese restaurant there in Nevada, get an egg roll, pour a generous amount of that mustard sauce on that egg roll and take a big bite. And you will experience revival fire. <laughs> mustard in its natural form is hot. It bites. It burns. In fact, I read, you know, back in the olden days, and this was even way before I came into this world, when people thought they had pneumonia or some type of respiratory issue, um, what they would do is they would make a mustard plaster and they would put it on their chest. Now, I don't know if it really cured the pneumonia or if it just took the height off, but they believed that mustard had the power to heal respiratory issues. So when our Lord is talking about a mustard seed, I believe he in part is trying to say that the gospel has power. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a weak, powerless message that someone came up with after they had a dream or sat under a tree or, or something like that. No, the gospel is something with power. The gospel has a fire that is able to permeate our lives and transform us. And I really think we need to get back to the fire and the power of the gospel. And as I said, today is, is Pentecost Sunday. But we need to get back to a powerful and anointed proclamation of the Word of God to where we allow the gospel to penetrate our hearts and cleanse us and strip away the sin and the bad attitudes and impurities that we tend to accumulate in our lives. We need to get back to the fire of the gospel. And that's why Jesus said the words, um, uh, you know, or, 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 or the gospel said, I speak unto you, it is life. And the Bible says we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God that lives and abides forever. The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. And that's why we must keep the word prominent. That's why we must keep the word preeminent. And that's why at this church, even though we love our music, thank God for the music program that we have and for Darren and Jim and Rachel and, and Brandon and others that, that help us out. Uh, you know, thank, thank God for them. We love our music. And, and, and even though we love testimonies, to hear testimonies from time to time in our services, and, and even though we love our get-togethers and, and um, you, we love fellowshipping with each other, I want you to hear this. We can't solely build our services around music and testimonies and fellowship. Those are important elements of the Christian walk. But we must build our lives on the foundation of the Word of God that never loses its power. Because the Word of God is life. The Word of God is supernatural. The Word of God will never pass away. And may God help us at this church to, to never resort to gimmicks and fads and entertainment that might draw in people for a short time, but they don't have the keeping power. We need the Word of God to be our foundation. You know, as has been said many times, others may preach the gospel better than I, but nobody can preach a better gospel than I. You see, the seed, the Word of God, the gospel has power. It has life. So Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed all right let's go to the second part of our really complex outline and let's look at the tree look what happened in this parable in verse 32 though it's the smallest of all your seeds yet when it grows it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come perch in its branches now a couple questions here is a plant the same thing as a tree. And, and follow-up question, and can a plant become a tree? Well, and I'm not an expert here. Anything I've learned is because I've read, but a plant is not a tree. And, um, you know, I, I read that a plant typically doesn't have the woody tissue that a tree does. There are other differences as well. But a plant is not a tree, and plants typically don't turn into trees. A plant is a plant, a tree is a tree. And, and, and in fact, if you can do it really fast, turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 11. And, and if you can't do it fast, just follow along with the scripture on the screen. But 
Here's what God said in Genesis chapter 111. said, Let the land burst forth with every sort of grass and seed-bearing plant, and let there be trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. The seeds will then produce the kind of plants and trees from which they came from. And so it was. The land was filled with seed-bearing plants and trees. And, and here's the part I want you to catch. Their seeds produced plants and trees of like kind. So basically what what these two verses are saying is that seeds produce according to their kind. In other words, plants never produce trees. Trees never produce plants. And and by the way, this is kind of off the lesson, but if you keep reading this passage a few verses later, around verses 23, 24, 25, something like that, it says the same thing about the animal kingdom. They produce of their own kind, which is a powerful statement against evolution. Animals, nor humans, they do not evolve into something more sophisticated. We produce according to our own kind. That right there is a knockout blow of the theory of evolution. So I know that's aside from the point here, but you might want to just make a mental note. If somebody is debating that, you can go back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 23, 24, somewhere along there, and it talks about that. Anyway, back to the mustard seed. It begins as a tiny, tiny seed and grows into a large plant. As a matter of fact, they say in the Middle East, a mustard plant will grow almost seven feet tall. But understand, it's still a plant. But here in this parable, we, we see something very abnormal taking place. The mustard seed begins growing as a plant, but then it basically changes into a tree. So what's the meaning of this? And I'll admit this week, man, I wrestled with it. I struggled and I read after other commentators and I prayed, God, help me to understand this. And and I'm not going to claim that I fully understand everything about this scripture. Um... But I do believe that our Lord was referring to something taking place that was not supposed to take place. In other words, Jesus was trying to help us see something that we might call the development of abnormal or twisted Christianity. And, and let me try to explain here with, uh, with some history as well as some prophecy. When Jesus was talking about the mustard seed becoming a tree with birds nesting in the branches... Many of the hearers, because they were educated Pharisees who had studied the Old Testament, they would have probably been reminded of the words found in Daniel chapter 4, verse 20. And by the way, can I just call a time out? You really need to track with me here on this. Because if you let your mind wander two seconds, you will end up being in the wilderness for 40 years. In fact, you may not even find your way out of the church today. You will be so lost. So so try to track with me that this... um, you can follow. I, I know I've got confidence in you. But, but a good part of the audience hearing Jesus would have been reminded of Daniel chapter 4, verse 20, which is a description of the Babylonian kingdom. And by the way, Babylon in the Bible, and again, pay attention, in some instances is symbolic of wickedness, but it's also symbolic of false religion. And this is all going to tie together, but you're going to have to follow closely. Daniel chapter 4, verse 20 says, The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful trees and abundant fruit, 
providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air, you, O king, are that tree. You've become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Now, don't worry too much about all the details here, but this vision that Daniel had with a great lofty tree and birds nesting in the branches was a vision of the Babylonian kingdom that had become strong and great. So, are you still with us? Okay, hold that thought for just a moment. Because we're going to jump to another scripture, to the very last book of the Bible. And I wanted you to see something else. And, and again, this puzzle is going to fit together perfectly in just, just a few moments. At least I hope it will. Revelation chapter 18, verse 2. L- listen to this verse. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen! Fallen! Is Babylon the great? Catch this. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. So this great Babylonian kingdom had become a home for evil spirits or, or false religions and And did you pay attention? It had become a home for unclean and detestable birds. So let's try to put this puzzle together now. If we merge Matthew 13 and Daniel chapter 4 and Revelation 18, you see a picture coming together where in the last days there will be a surge of false religions. And understand the devil is behind it all. The devil is not against religion. In fact, he loves religion, and he's doing his best to cause people to create and follow all types of new religions. That's why we have 30,000 religions in the world today. The devil takes something that may have some elements of good, but he twists it and makes it abnormal. And so when our parable talks about a plant becoming a tree, this is twisted. This is abnormal. It's not supposed to be. As Jesus looked down the corridor of time, he saw that in the final days, there would be the development of fake religion. Now, you hear a lot about fake news. There's fake religion. Religion that is false. It's fraudulent. And Jesus painted this word picture of a plant abnormally becoming a tree to help us understand that in the final days, Satan would create confusion on earth and try to deceive people through religion that is twisted and abnormal. Now, hang with me. We're still putting the puzzle together. Let's look at the birds. And with this point, I think you'll understand why I call this message the devil's dirty birds. Look again at our scripture, Matthew 13, 32. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows... It is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Now, let me stop and tell you what most people think as they do a quick surface reading of this passage. And, and by the way, that's, that's the way that mo- most of us read the Scripture. We, you know, we have our little reading. Well, I need to get, read my uh, you know, verse a day keeps the devil away or chapter a day, whatever, keeps bad things away. And, and so we've we got to get it done and so we can check that box. Well, I did that. That, that's, that's a surface reading, and, and, and we miss so much. We, we, we miss so much on, uh, and leave it on the table. You know, it's kind of like a, like a chicken bone. I cannot stand to leave any good meat on a chicken bone. Oh, my word. And, 
And, and I, I'll tell you what I've done, and, and, and there's, um, I know I'm just really probably giving too much information. My, my wife is not here, so I'll just go ahead and say this while she's gone. Um, I have been known to take a chicken bone from somebody else's plate and finish it up and do it the right way. I'm sorry. I just don't like to waste anything. I was raised in Bolivia where we all do that kind of stuff. But um, anyway, so many times we, we read Scripture... Man, that wasn't in my notes, okay? i just tell you. I don't know if that was the Lord or one of those dirty birds that put that idea in my mind. Um, but so many of us, we read the Word and, and we leave so much meat on the bones because we're just skimming it. You know, we, we're checking the box. And, you know, if you've got a Bible reading plan, and again, this isn't in my notes either, but um, if you've got a Bible reading plan, that's okay. Um, but you know what? I stopped Bible reading plan several years ago because I saw I was just leaving too much meat on the bone. And so now I, now I go at my pace. I may not cover very much every day, but to me it's more important, important to get all of the meat off of it rather than just go through it a whole bunch of times and say, well, I've read the Bible 50 times. So what if you haven't gotten anything out of it? So anyway, uh, I, I don't know how I got off on that. But uh, anyway, when people do a surface reading of the Scripture... Many people will say, oh, isn't this wonderful? The church starts with just a little seed and then it grows and becomes a big plant. And then it turns into this huge kingdom tree. And we've got all these sweet songbirds nesting and roosting in the tree. Isn't that precious? But that's far from the context here. These birds are not sweet little songbirds these birds represent the power of darkness let me show you this and we're going to back up to matthew chapter 13 to another one of the eight parables and 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 by the way the way to understand the bible is to compare scripture with scripture and understand it in its context so let's do a scripture comparison here. Matthew that, uh, chapter 13, verse 3 says, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Now, it's obvious that these birds that are gobbling up the seed of the gospel, they're not sweet songbirds that are precious. No, they're dirty birds. They're, they're birds sent by Satan to steal away the word of God. So listen up. The word in verse 4 here that's translated birds and steal away the seed of the gospel, that's the exact same word in the Greek that is translated birds in verse 32 for our parable. So these are not sweet song birds. These are dirty birds. These are nasty birds. And verse 19 further clarifies this. It says, when anyone hears the message uh, about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So don't think for one moment that these birds nesting in the trees are good birds. You know, we, uh, we have a deck on the back of our house and we got a girl back there. And one of the girls uh, has, I, I guess it's for the air, uh, it's one of the cheap grills but anyway they're, they're, they're a couple of holes about this size and we had um, we had starlings that came and, and built a nest and and my grandson he wouldn't let me tear it out of course I do everything my grandson wants me to do and so I left it in there 
I said, okay, we'll, we'll leave it in there until, you know, the, the eggs are, are hatched out. And, um, and, but those starlings would come in there and just make a nasty mess. The other day, I, I tore it out and, and power washed the grill out and purified it, cleansed it, and prayed over it. And not quite that, but um, they were dirty birds. And these birds in this parable represent the power of Satan that tries to steal away the Word of God and twist the truth and change it into something that is false religion that will lead to destruction. And I happen to personally believe that the devil will send more people to hell through religion than in any other way. You know, it's not religion that people need. It was the religious crowd that crucified Jesus Christ. We need to turn away from religion and turn to Jesus Christ. We need a personal faith in a living Savior. And so as we wrap up, um, begin our wrap up, I, I know this sounds kind of strange here, but I think we need a course in spiritual bird watching. So let me give you a short course on this as we wrap things up. I want to give you four questions that you should ask of me as your pastor or ask of anybody else that teaches at this church or really any other church or you should ask of anybody that comes to your house with a religious magazine wanting to engage with you in some religious conversation as we do some spiritual bird watching this morning we're going to call these four tests number one the source test when you go to church when somebody comes to your door, you need to ask, what is the source of what you believe? Where do you get this? If, if they say, well, it comes from our church, or if they say it comes from a book that so-and-so wrote, that's not good enough. There can only be one source, the Word of God. And then if they happen to answer correctly that it comes from the Word of God, you need to ask a follow-up question of, do you believe that the Bible is inspired, inerrant, infallible? And have you taken away from it or have you added another companion book to go with it? That's the source test. The second test is this, the Savior test. And this test is so important because you need to know what they believe about Jesus. Because, listen, if they're wrong about Jesus Christ, it really doesn't matter what they're right about. Can I say that again? If they are wrong about Jesus, it doesn't matter what they're right about. Second John chapter 9 says, Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. So find out what they believe about Jesus Christ. Do they believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do they believe that Jesus was virgin born? The third test is the subject test. What's the subject of their message? What's the theme? Is it the gospel of Jesus Christ? And then make sure he understands what the gospel is. In fact, do you know what the gospel is? Do you? If somebody asks you, what's the gospel of Jesus Christ? How will you answer? Well... You know, the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised again on the third day, according to scriptures. And he and only he provides a salvation that saves us from our sin. 
Galatians 1, 8 says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. What's the subject? And lastly, um, the salvation test. Find out about his own salvation. You know, a year ago, a year ago or so, I had someone in this church want to know if I was saved. And then how I knew I was. And, and you know what? I was not offended by that question. I was actually thrilled that somebody cared enough. I was happy to answer that. And, and by the way, you are free to ask me that question anytime you want to. And you need to feel free to ask that of our Sunday school teachers. And I hope they're not offended. You need to feel free to ask that question of our life group leaders. You can ask that of our board members. Ask, have they been born again? Have they been regenerated? Are they trusting the blood of Jesus Christ and God's grace to save them? Are they just trying to mix in some of their own good works so it's Jesus plus this or Jesus plus that? It's okay for us to go back and ask people if they have received Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. And, and then if they say yes, you need to say how do you know that? Why do you say that? You need to find out. Why? Is, is it through the blood of Jesus Christ or is it through a bunch of rules, regulations? Born in a Christian home, born in America. How do they know they have received Christ? Now that's a very simple course in spiritual bird watching. Because you see the Bible says if it were possible the devil would deceive the very elect. That's us. So isn't it amazing that as Jesus looked down the tunnel, through the tunnel of time, he knew that when it came to spiritual matters, something abnormal and, and twisted would take place. So he used this parable how, of how a plant became a tree. And birds, not sweet songbirds, but dirty birds of the air, of the power of darkness, would nest in the branches. And so... Uh, this morning, let me end with two things. First of all, a warning. And the warning is this. Make certain that you have received Christ as your personal Savior. You can be religious, but lost. You can have a form of godliness and not know the power thereof. And again, I want to just say it's not religion that you need. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's the word of warning. But could I just give you uh, a word of comfort? Truth is stronger than error. Truth is stronger than error. And it really isn't the false religions we need to be worried about. We need to be more worried about our, our ignorance and, and our lethargy and our failure to claim the Word of God. And our failure to take advantage of the day of Pentecost, the power that is available for those who love Him. And so... Um, could I just tell you to put truth, God's truth in your heart and remember that He is greater within you than, you know, the power of the world that's out there. So this morning, um, I want to just ask you, if I had the time, I'd go around to every one of you. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Do you? If you don't, 
here's what I'd like for you to do just as we wrap up. Would you just say, Lord Jesus, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. And would you just, just with an attitude of humility, say, Lord, I want you to come and live in my heart. Would you come and forgive me of my sins? I give you everything there is of me. And I'm going to follow you from today forward. So, if you don't have that assurance today, could you just do that as we as we pray together? Lord, I thank you for your word. That this was kind of a complex scripture for me, at least. Lord, we know that in the end times, there's going to be so much that's twisted, abnormal, confused, and Satan is the father of confusion. And Lord, I pray that we would not be confused about our salvation. We can be confused about other things, but we would not be confused about our salvation. And Lord, I I believe that there are probably some people here this morning that may not have the assurance of their sins forgiven. Lord, I pray that right now they would just receive you and that they would accept the free gift of salvation. Lord, I pray that this would be a moment where some names would be written in the Lamb's book of life. That, that book would, that shows, tells those who have made peace with God. Lord, help us not to rely on our goodness or just where we were born, on our church or anything else. But Lord, we would rely strictly on the fact that uh, you know Jesus died for our sins and we've come to Him and confessed our sins and He has forgiven us and We've accepted this free gift of salvation. Father, I just pray that you would help us right now to know for sure. I pray this in your name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Is there somebody here that would just lift a hand and say, Pastor, I just did that right now. And I just want you to rejoice. Don't call me out. Don't embarrass me. Don't announce my name. But I just want you to rejoice. Is there anybody that would just say, Pastor, I've I've prayed here and God has really answered my prayer. Is there anybody that we can just rejoice? Anybody? Is there anybody that would say, Pastor, I I know I'm probably not where I should be. Would you just pray for me in your private time? Just pray for me. Is there anybody? Lift a hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Just pray for me, Pastor. Thank you. Father, I just ask that you would do a work in our hearts and in our lives and in our church. Lord, I pray for these that have raised their hand. I pray that you would... Meet them at their point of need, whatever that is. Thank you for being an amazing Savior. We love you. And we pray these favors in your name. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. You're dismissed. Thanks for coming. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.